Shall we? Uh, shall we get to it? Do do our thing here. Are we doing three chapters? I'm a bad friend, and I misread what you sent, and I only read two chapters. Okay, that was fine. Which actually, so actually, that, that I'm kind of a irresponsible friend because our plan A was two chapters, and then I plan B it at the last minute and said, "Oh, we've got extra time. Okay. Let's do a third one." So, okay. <laughs> I should have paid more attention. So I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, this new company but, wants me for my attention to detail. Uh, <laughs> I'm screwed. <laughs> well, at least you're giving your attention to your company and you know going where the money matters. So. Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast. Conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think. And some stories that are just for fun. We're busy people reading books in realistic increments. Follow along in the book and join in the conversation, or just sit back and enjoy. Our aim is to unpack the story and offer you things to ponder. Either way, thanks for being here. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today for the Word and Journey podcast. Uh, Stories and concepts and ideas that shape us and make us think. We are back with The Great Divorce. My name is Moses, and I'm with my co-host. Hey, I'm Jake. Right. Which I re- I realized, so we forgot to do something last time, so we should probably do it this time. But uh, we should talk a bit about ourselves and why, who we, who are we, random, random white boys <laughs> reading books, and why should you pay attention to us? Uh, so, uh, Jake, you want to introduce yourself first? Oh, sure. Make me go first. Oh, okay, uh, okay, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, so I'm Jake. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest for the most part, um, in and out of uh, the country a little bit. My folks were missionaries, always back to Spokane, Washington, um, grew up in the church, did a lot of stuff in the church. I was a wor- uh, youth leader for many years. I was a worship pastor for about three years. Um now, to tell you the truth, I'm on an interesting faith journey. I have not completely stepped away from the faith or become an apostate or anything, but uh, just deconstructionists. Yeah, a little. I mean, deconstruction is definitely like the word in vogue today. It for me, it's just more of like I I've you know been hurt enough by the church as many 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 people have, and I don't want to I don't want to discredit anybody's story. Um, and so I'm just kind of trying to figure out how do I walk out my faith but potentially not directly with, you know, what we as Americans certainly consider the traditional church. Um, and so that's thus far kind of developed into me working at a soup kitchen with a lot of other people who have also been kind of feeling the same way. And we just want to share, share love and hope and what supplies we have with the folks around us. And, um, yeah. And to top that all off, I'm also a software engineer. And so sometimes it feels like I'm part of, two worlds or three worlds or many worlds all at the same time. And um, the, it's, it's tempting to call them all very different, but in, in part of this journey that I've been on, I've been learning to see the sacred in everything and trying to focus on that. So that was a very like suddenly deep into the waters of what's been going on in my mind for the last year, but Hey, there you go. That's what we do. It's we, we got the microphones and the screens, so we bear our souls and <laughs> hope for nice comments. But yeah, th- thanks for thanks for sharing. I have been delighted to get to know some of that journey with you over the last year or so, which has been fun. Um, yes, deconstruction. I was just thinking about that. How like 
like nobody used to use that word and <laughs> like <laughs> this is going to come across not how I want to say it, but I can say, <laughs> well, well, back in my day when people deconstructed, we called it backsliding, <laughs> <laughs> which is not what's happening. And I don't want to, I don't want to make that claim because no. it's very different, but, um, but yeah, I appreciate uh, it. I've, I've, I can tell that there are some people in my life who are like, are you right? But, but, but that's, but that no, <laughs> yeah. But there, yeah. The the very real wonderful thing about that though is this freedom to <clears throat> mute my coughs. Uh, this freedom to ask questions, and mm-hmm. hopefully, it's questions that are actually like actually looking for answers and not just angry. But right. I mean, but again, like you know, there, there's there's this legitimacy of you know a lot of us get hurt growing up. A lot of us get hurt by the the parents or the the faith people that are supposed to be you know caring for our souls and so giving ourselves liberty to address that and acknowledge that you know mourn that hopefully pick up the pieces and make make further sense of it I mean that is, that is a really beautiful thing so I'm glad you allow yourself that uh, so I've uh, yeah I've had similar moments definitely. So, so me, uh, so my name is Moses. Um, that's, uh, yes. Well, it's early in the morning. And I'm putting it the very words much is. I can't put words together a lot of the times this early. Okay. So this, this will be extra fun, but I'm, I'm Moses and I'm, a, a husband, father, Orthodox Christian. And in my professional life, I am a licensed professional counselor and I do addictions counseling uh do sex addiction counseling in particular so if you'd like to contact me there contact the word and journey podcast and i'll tell you my professional name uh because moses is not my professional name but um and i'd be happy to talk about that as far as books i am a new writer um new meaning i haven't quite published but uh, that's that's my trajectory hopefully and at some point i'm going to pitch my story but I love books. I love stories. I love reading. And I also love watching TV. But um, yeah, I so I'm some coming out uh, all of these stories from the lens of, of orthodoxy and of psychology, and just whatever uh, else is there is about me. And I like science fiction a lot. And like, I grew up on like Star Trek, Star Wars, Stargate. Uh, yeah. And that was uh that was my bread and butter for a while so that's who i am so i guess yes between the two of us neither of us are like english majors or anything fancy Ooh. like that but uh we 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 like books 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 good so okay cool yes so so yeah the great divorce what were um what were some of your just initial thoughts impressions standout moments from chapter three and four. Um, yeah, I mean, you, so at the beginning, I think in our, our first episode, we talked about like the, the intro um, to the book itself, where Lewis talks a little bit about this sort of material that, um, you know, it's unbreakable. I forget the exact term that he used, but like this extra permanent material. He actually says it's like more, more solid than solid sort of a thing. 
And we actually start to see that um, right here at the beginning of chapter three. And so I was really curious as to how he was going to start using that um, that idea as we have crossed over the uh, the cliff in the flying bus still uh, into what gradually becomes uh, clear is supposed to be heaven in this particular narrative where there are you know the grass is more solid the the ground everything like it's it's almost like our protagonist and his cohort are ghosts um in comparison to the solid stuff and the and the protagonist refers to them as ghosts still even though it's kind of that that difference of view is like we're just less solid than the than the super solid stuff and things like that and so um i'm still curious about this whole bus narrative i guess because um so they get there and they ask the bus driver like hey how how long until we need to be back at the bus and so they're at this like really wonderful looking place and we find out a little bit more later like it's kind of difficult for them to be there um but they're immediately like how long do i or how long until the bus leaves and the bus driver just says oh you can stay as long as you want and that's that's kind of it it's just like that odd sense of like, what, what is going on? So um, I think that's roughly uh, what's in a lot of chapter three, but yeah. Curious about a lot of the narrative stuff that's going on. There's a, there's a lot to be curious about for sure. Uh, Yeah. There's this peculiar bus and now now they're off the bus and um, in this really beautiful spot which um, also got to throw in uh, C.S. Lewis, a uh, word of the day, vituperation. Oh, I saw that. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> right. So Google says that means bitter and abusive language, which seems to fit this pack of ghosts because they are bitter and contentious and mm-hmm. argumentative to the end, uh, indomitably so, even here in what seems to be this really beautiful beautiful spot um and that that is that is most peculiar the way that some people just seem well at least the 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 portrayal seems to be that some people just will not see beauty or will not appreciate the Mm -hmm. good things they they're 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 written as kind of preset determined to just like hate everything which is interesting and you know given the genre it's uh it, it it's sobering it kind of well for me it makes me look and be like oh my gosh i'm one of those people oh, because, same <laughs> yeah, uh which i think is either the brilliance of of lewis or a feature of this genre of, of allegory it's because it because it is there's like an unrealism surrealism to this it, it kind of lends itself well to like assuming everything means something or everything represents something else and so uh, I do find it is really easy to read myself into the characters and really mm-hmm. all of the characters become a really interesting reflection of or mirror back to me of what may or may not be commendable traits. So, so there's definitely that, that the contention uh, and yes, that, that this idea of uh, what, what is real really comes out in the open and um and there's, I, I get the sense that they're, they, the ghosts, when they start there, there's no, there's no sense of being unreal or less real at all. Right. I just, 
that's what we know and so things things are normal and there's there's very much the sense of awakening or discovering or or really deepening like we discover oh wow the world is bigger than we thought the world is thicker harder uh more 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 substantial than we thought and um and and i haven't changed or devolved i've just discovered wow there's actually a whole lot more wow and it hurts Um, yeah, I love this idea. I mean, he talks about it early on, uh, where, where the narrator says, I had the sense of being in a larger space, perhaps even a larger sort of space than I'd ever known before, as if the sky were further off and the extent of the green plane wider than they could be on this little ball of earth. I had got out in some sense, which made the solar system itself seem an indoor affair. And... That was a really interesting part for me. Um, again, just thinking category categorically or categories. There's um, who would have thunk? There's more than one kind of space to inhabit, or mm-hmm. or something. And I don't know. It was I don't know. So tell me what you think. I mean, the, the space is re- is really talking about. I mean, maybe I mean maybe he's like talking about how like oh yeah, heaven paradise will be like so much bigger than than what we know. Um, but it was it was making me think a little bit about like inner space actually. Um, we like in the counseling world, we talk a lot about this idea of like you know making space, holding space, and um, as a, as a counselor, I've, as I've been learning about um, this uh, framework called internal family systems. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk in terms of there's different parts of us and there's a, a core core central self that's like the the central energies the the inner observer the seat of consciousness and and the way that the clinicians describe it is as this just like infinite source of like space of compassion of openness and part of the therapeutic intervention from there is you know you pinpoint what's the feeling what's a thought what's a bothersome part of you and can you just open up some space around it and and there's this discre- there's this uh, thought there that um, there's like no end to how much space you can open up within yourself for things, and uh, and they, and I've been interested in practicing that, especially in the context of uh, Orthodox spiritual practice, which really is geared around developing and strengthening the the, the inner space, the inner stillness. Um, that's where God is. That's where God dwells, and. And there, there does seem to be the sense of if I'm good there, if I'm good in the inner space, then I'm kind of good anywhere. And right, like Paul's Paul's concept or what Paul said of like I've learned to be content in all things, sort of a deal, something like that. Um, but yeah, but that, but there, but yeah, if there's a generous space within, that <laughs> might lead to what we might also call resilience of. Sure. Throw any sensation, any emotion at me, and, and and I can handle it. And just because, like, I, it's not that that like this, I make the situation better or go away or anything. It's just like I become enough for it because I have the spaciousness inside. Mm-hmm. It's 
So I thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah. No, sorry. <laughs> it was. It, it was. Sorry. I, I thought you were uh, muting yourself again to cough for a sec. Um, yeah, I think like it, even in the in the very beginning of chapter three, I guess a little bit later. My screen apparently just decided to reorganize everything. I got the Kindle book pulled up um, and you know, it's the protagonist talks about this concept of just like, it seems to be so much bigger than space effectively. Um, And so that, that concept of inner peace seems to start to play out. uh, And I did catch a little bit of chapter five. um, So spoiler alert, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) uh, But it does seem to start to play out even here through chapters three and four, um like you know you in chapter three i think this is chapter three we meet uh a gentleman i don't know that he's named is he is it do do they didn't have as many names it was more uh no well i mean i think in chapter five we meet the fat ghost um but otherwise Mm -hmm. um it's like the bright ones oh we got to talk about the bright ones and then the ghosts but yeah yeah and so there's a you know, a ghost who was on the bus with our protagonist, who is still unnamed. Um, and, oh, this this other more solid person the ghost finds is Len. Uh, and apparently Len killed another person named Jack. And, you know, our, our ghost fellow is very surprised that this Len character is here and what I think our ghost is already really kind of recognizing as, as heaven, or at least as heaven is what this narrative is. Um, and so, you know, how did the, a murderer get here? But uh, our ghost is in Greytown. Um, it's very, you know, kind of, kind of slapping you in the face a little bit with, you know, und- undeserved grace a little bit, which I, I mean, as far as the gospel goes, and if we're talking gospel, I love, you know, get it out there in the open. We don't need a whole, we shouldn't need a whole lot of nuance really around this concept, I suppose. Um, but, you know, even even partly within me, like there's there's that part of me that still tries to rail against it, right? It's like there's a lot of us, you know, while we'll say that salvation is not through works alone, we often like, to say that it has like a huge, a bigger impact on our salvation than it really does, or not even necessarily say, but that's kind of how we operate. Um, and so it's, it's hard to shatter that right now. Yeah. The, yes, I, my, my note about that was just observing how it's, so the, this is the ghost. This is the, the, the big man from, from earlier who is mm-hmm. going on and on about like, well, I want my rights and I've, uh, what did he say? I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. Oh, I guess I should do British. If I wanted to drink, I paid for it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and if, and if I took my wages and done my job, see, that's the sort of was, and I don't care who knows it. So he, he he's all about his rights and getting his dues and you know mm-hmm. fairness and justice. Uh, but uh, Len, this this murderer, has found forgiveness, and right. he seems much happier. Uh, yeah, that peace that you were yeah. talking about. Very much so, yeah. And it and it's interesting talking about like what um, what do we need for salvation? Um, so like uh, Orthodox concept of this is is quite different. Where, um, so, I mean, a, I mean, we see salvation as as this active process where mm-hmm. like you, yeah, it's it 
has a stuff and a starting point, but then it's, you become safe through the active participation in it. And so, I mean, we wouldn't, we, I mean, we'd never like differentiate like faith from works. Like it's like right. faith and works work together and it needs to be a working faith. And, um, and, and I, and I always remember feeling that in, um, back, back when I was Protestant too, there is a sense of, well, okay, so I got saved and I'm not supposed to do anything, but like, I'm, I'm never sure of this anymore. Like right. there, there's not any assurance because there's, there's nothing for me to do, no participation and all that would be left for me. Like the only, my, and this is a little bit more my teenage concept, but my teenage concept of like proper spirituality was you be a pastor, you be a youth pastor, a church planter, <laughs> missionary, or a worship leader. And like, you know, that's how you know you're super spiritual. Right. And so for like a, you know, lay person like me who never had the political connections to like get on the inner circle of a church, I was always like, well, I'm screwed. <laughs> so Yeah. Which is, which I mean, is, is tragic to me in, in many ways because your story is not unique. Um, and I've known like you, you have walked through a lot of that and there's, you know, there's a lot of struggle and strife that I, that I don't personally know from your story yet, but you know, looking at some of my, my former students when I was a youth leader, even partly myself, like I, so grow, I grew up in the church, semi mainline Protestant denomination, slightly evangelical. Um, and like everybody, everybody in my cohort for youth group was like, ah, I know exactly what God wants for me, uh, what God is calling me to. And he wants me to be a youth pastor. Um, spoiler alert, that didn't happen for most. Uh, and that, but I always felt that, you know, cause I didn't feel I've never really felt that huge calling on my life for really any profession. I went through several existential crises of like, do I go to this type of engineering or that type of engineering? God, what do you want me to do? that's a whole other story for another day, but having, you know, not, not being super drawn to like, I need to be a youth pastor or even a worship pastor. I, I should have, when I introduced myself, I should have put worship pastor in quotes because I've, I've not been trained. Uh, I was just working for a church that was very strange about titling people. And so, okay, sure. If you want to call me that, that's fine. I just want to help take care of the music stuff. Um, I mean, there's more to it than that, but that was effectively, I was just like, eh, sure, call me whatever you want. Um, And so like this, this concept of like, you know, I have to be like this, this big spiritual top dog, I guess Uh, it, it can be really damaging. Like I've known some people who tried and pushed and pushed and pushed that partly because they were trying to uh, make others proud of them. I think in, in many ways, at least in many of the stories that I've heard, um, and they ended up flaring out really badly. I mean, really badly. And so it's, you know, it's something that I'm glad is kind of being shaken up and you're right. Like I'm, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm entirely tending towards orthodoxy yet. Who knows? Jesus <laughs> might still be working on me. I don't know. Right. Uh, but the, you know, the concept that our works and our salvation are not wholly separate. Um, and where I was actually, um, I've been kind of doing like a small group Bible study sort of a thing with my best friend and a few others. And we're, we're reading through the book of Romans right now. And we just read Romans two and Paul almost contradicts himself. It looks like, like first glance in that, in that specific chapter, just that chapter where it's like, um, it's talking a lot about sin and, and redemption and that sort of things. And it's just like, uh, there's, there's a concept almost of like, you have to do all these good things in order to be saved. And yet at the same time, 
doing all those good things doesn't save you sort of a thing. And it's, you know, it, it takes a lot of, of reading and a lot of prayer. And I certainly wouldn't say that I have the full concept, but um, yeah, it's all that to say, I'm still learning a lot, I guess. And this I'm, book kind of touches a lot on those concepts. Very much. I'm very much still learning as well. And uh, yeah, that idea of like your, what you do matters and doesn't matter. It's, a really great example of a dialectic and anything and, and that's that's a challenge it's a challenge to hold differing even contradicting realities as both true at the same time it right it causes internal it will dissonance cognitive dissonance it's kind of a technical thing and it takes work to do that it takes more words to describe it so you can't just be like oh mm -hmm. here's a glib black and white quick answer check a box you really have to take time and think about it and explain it and dialogue over it. And it just, it takes more time. It takes more work. Yeah. Uh, so getting into philosophical, theological concepts that seem to show up here. Uh, <laughs> yes. Ooh, fun, fun. Um, there was this part. So you mentioned where um, one of the ghosts is asking, how long do we have to stay here? And um, the other, um, I think it's the bus driver. He says, you never need to come back unless you want to stay as long as you please. And which was making me think about like, uh, the role of free will in all of this, which mm -hmm. is a big concept. And I'm venturing way out of my philosophical depth because I'm not trained as a philosopher either. Um, but I, but I do get how uh, believing free will exists or doesn't. I mean, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big trailhead and um, like, like determinism, you know, what, what's the word? Oh, the, the predestination stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like those, those all seem to like write out free will and um, kind of neutralize people in a sense is like, well, you're set and you might, you may or may not be screwed in there. Uh, uh, whereas there, there, there's this idea. And then this is certainly where, where Orthodox thought would land is that, free will is like a very real thing and a very powerful thing. And we talk about this synergistic relationship we have with God where um, I'm going to forget some of the terms, but like we, we provide like the willingness and the effort and he provides like all of, all of the power to, to mm -hmm. make it happen. And then the mercy and, and something. And so it ends up being like this, like 90, 10 balance of like, you know, we do this little like 10% and you know, God does everything else, but, um, but very much, um, there, there, there's our choice, you know, up to, up to the extent, I mean, I mean, when we say like, well, like who, who goes to hell and everything, um, which hey, I was listening to this other, uh, other podcast talking about, uh, Orthodox priests talking about like, what, what is, what is hell? And it's, there's actually right. more of a sense of like hell as a person, uh, like another spiritual being. Interesting. And, I hadn't heard like an incarnation sort of idea yeah. i've heard of well, i've heard of like it's a state of being kind of that well like it's um i'll have to put, i'll put the link to the the episodes in this note because it's super fascinating but there's a sense of well well like like death like death in hades like when we say like christ is trampling down death by death there there's a sense of there's the, the, there's a place to it but there's also like another like spiritual demonic being that is death that does what that that holds 
deceased souls captivity or something and there was mm -hmm. like a very literal like breaking out of a place uh upon the resurrection so um <laughs> all that to say oh yes free will so um <laughs> uh <clears throat> this is what we get for doing rabbit trails in the morning um, but where we say okay so who goes to hell and be like well it'd be the people who really want to in, in one sense or there's a sense of like if people really don't want the mercy of God or really don't mm -hmm. want to be with God in that way, then he's not going to force that on them. And um, yeah, which is an interesting concept. I mean, it seems like Lewis would kind of be pointing to that in this too, is like all of the people in Greytown are people who are very, or at least in this particular uh, narrative are, very quarrelsome, very like they, they want to be around themselves. Like there was miles, millions of miles, light years of, of houses because people kept like finding people wanting to live together for them for a short while. And then they're like, ah, screw this. I'm going to go off and find another place. Um, whereas, you know, there is that sense of peace uh, for the, um, the solid people, the bright people, that's what they're called here. Um, and it's, yeah, that concept of free will is a trippy one for sure. And I think like for me, there's, there's a lot of stuff, especially big theological questions sort of a thing that boil down to for me is just like, um, our, our concept of time and really honestly reality in, in comparison to an omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, et cetera, et cetera, being is rather limited right and it's like you know there's it's it's weird to think like um you know th there's there's points in scripture where it says effectively that god knows who's going to be saved or there is the elect or whatever and yet at the same time there's a ton like you said free will like there that is there and so for me the easy the short answer which leads to many more questions but can at least put this one to rest is like we because we can't see really all of time ooh, I mean, if God could, and we still have free will, then God would know the answers to those questions. But that actually almost kind of folds back in on itself sometimes. It's just like, well, if things like are things always going to happen? Like, was there really no choice? Do we really actually have no free will? And we're just biological agents kind of operating on a set of inputs and producing a set of outputs. It's weird. And I don't have an answer for that. I can only say like, it seems really odd that I can be asking these types of questions and there's not free will, but that's a very squishy answer. Yes, that, that is very complex. And I, and I think I remember like hearing some of my, you know, Calvinist friends, like trying to defend Calvinism and the, the, or like what is predestination and with this out of like, well, it's because God sees what you would have done anyway and, and yada, yada, yada. And so therefore, I, I don't know. So yeah, there, there's, I mean, depending on how far you get into it, there can be like this loop-de-loop -loop of, well, which came first? Did we act or did God choose it? Um, <laughs> right. But um, but I think, I mean, you, I guess you just have to like plant yourself somewhere in that cycle. And I guess, I mean, I mean, for us, I mean, we'll definitely plant it, plant it at, uh, yes, um, God knows all and he's made us able to choose and responsible to choose. Right. And so, uh, you know, and there, it's, I mean, within there, what it, what I understand from, from my tradition too, is that, 
Well, we believe that there is a seed of truth everywhere. There, like all perspectives, all views have like a seed of truth, a seed of the gospel somewhere. Um, you know, and I mean, Orthodox perspective is, you know, that, you know, the, the ancient faith has, has the fullness of that perspective. And that's, that's what, that's our claim, but, um, but there's a seed of it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, people are responsible to respond to whatever seed of that, that they have. Uh, and, and I guess that's more, maybe more of a volitional thing than, than we give credit for. And certainly, I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors of, you know, nature nurture, like, you know, what about your environment and what about trauma and like all of those things factor in. Um, but, uh, but again, I mean, then, then there's, I mean, you also run into like, well, like, who do we believe God is? And I mean, right. is God, are we believing God is this like contentious, capricious, really petty monster who is just like, well, no, you didn't believe the right theological new ones. So, you know, right. <laughs> go to, you know, go to hell, literally. Yeah. Um, as, <laughs> yeah. <more> as, <laughs> as much as like, here's this, you know, physician shepherd who's like looking for any excuse possible to, to save people. And, mm-hmm. um, um, we have, um, we are, our mutual friend, uh, Shay Layton, uh, who, uh, shout outs and we'll get him on here someday. But, um, but I mean, he's, he's theorized about, um, some of these, uh, you know, atheist converts who, you know, grew up in church, see the problem, see the corruption, get really hurt and then like leave it. I mean, sometimes in anger, but they leave it. And, uh, I know he, he has this wondering about like, huh, I went like, Someday when they stand before God, is are, are they going to get like credit for being like, well, you know, like will God say to them, well, you definitely recognize where I wasn't. So good for you. <laughs> so, right. Which I don't know, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, like, I can't remember if our last episode I talked that I am one of the things that I'm struggling through right now is like this, you know, heady theological term theories of atonement, um, which is basically like boiling it down to very simple definition. How does salvation work and who is saved all at the same time? And there's, you know, there, uh, one of the big ones that is not necessarily taught outright, but is often the way that especially Protestant Christians in my experience act is this, uh, theory of punitive substitution, which, um, you know, there's, there's a, a fairly common gospel video that's, that's been making the rounds relatively recently again, where it's like, um, train tracks operator doing his job and there's a train coming and then his kid was visiting for the day and was playing on the tracks and one side of the tracks is out like there's a big giant chasm and the other side of the tracks the kid is playing on and he can't get the kid to move and there's not enough time to grab the kid before changing the tracks and so to save all the people on the train the operator uh, switches the tracks and kills his son Um, and so to take punitive substitution and apply it to that, that would effectively, as somebody's described it to me, and maybe I'm not getting this completely right, is like the tra- the operator would then step out, stop the train, and then say, do you believe that I did this? Well, if not, it, it kills them. Um, which to me doesn't flow with really what I understand of the gospel. And it's not necessarily in that sort of like, well, I just don't feel like God would do that. No, it's like it doesn't seem to be within the character of God and of Christ expressed through the expressed through the gospel. And there's a lot of other theories of atonement. Um, from what I understand, there's a form of universalism that was taught by the very early church uh, for a long time. Not necessarily that like there's no consequence, but you know, that, that 
there is the potential for all to be saved and that eventually all will, or, you know, it's not, you know, our physical death isn't necessarily the end. I don't know. I'm not going to really bank on it. And so given the opportunity to actually share the gospel with folks, I'll probably share a lot of the nuanced thoughts that I've just been having. Cause I think it's also incredibly important to be honest, um, especially in the, in the evangelism context. Um, and so it's a lot of just like weird, uh, and that's one of the thing, one of the scary parts about, okay, we'll call it deconstruction, um, that I'm going through and that many people have been dealing with is just like, there's, there was that solidness to a foundation or that perceived solidness, um, to basically being unquestioning about all of these sorts of things, even though some of like, even though there was a part of me that just really just something is off here. Um, and now I don't have that, you know, that easy, like, well, my pastor said so or whatever. Not that I like for, for me, it's not always exactly been that way. Cause my, my, uh, I've inherited a lot of my rebelliousness from my father. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, there's now I'm actually asking these big questions and they're big questions that a lot of people don't have the answer to. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of folks out there who say they do, but you know, a lot of the times it doesn't jive. And I don't know, Moses, from your, uh, from your experience, especially within the Orthodox church and the early church fathers, like how, how solid of an answer to you know, theories of atonement there are, uh, within, within the Orthodox church. Uh, how solid is our understanding? Um, I would say it's a pretty solid, which, so sorry, I, I gotta, I gotta throw this in. So you're good. Like, when they so in the in the first part of the chapter when they talk about like the solids um like, <laughs> tricky part of me that's like oh my gosh it's like the solids and not the shapeshifters from deep space nine ah yes uh, that was uh so you got that too that was good anyway i love it um yeah so the way i experience orthodoxy especially compared to like this really really young like church plant that i was in like before and it was like this really like hyper-Calvinistic, post-reform, something, 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 like, I don't even know. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, the Orthodox Church is, you know, thousands of years old, and it's, you know, there, I mean, the, the, the core of it has remained, you know, unchanged for that time. I mean, they've deepened the theology and, uh, like, expanded upon it and, you know, articulated it a whole lot, but, but the, like, like, like the creed, I mean, mm-hmm. the, Constant. Oh, it's too early to say the word. The the creed, con, the cons, Constantinople. No, um, it's related to that. It's the Nicene. Nicene is what I know, but I think you're talking about the earlier one, right? Yeah, I'm having a total Orthodox feel right now. I'll put this in the notes. But the, <laughs> but so but so the the creed the creed that we say that was developed in the first Ecumenical Council. It's like 1700 years old, and it's mm-hmm. been unchanged. And when the Catholics tried to change it, we had the Great Schism. So there's that but all that to say i think there is this feel of a little bit more solidity just because it's endured more i mean like that number of years i think matters in a way um but as far as like what it is it's it's not it's not punitive at all it's not um mm-hmm. i mean we i mean we we reject we reject the idea of penal substitutionary atonement um because we don't see salvation as transactional or a legal transaction right. it's much more the sense of well 
humanity is sick and God is a healer and wants to heal and, and offer a redemption for that. And this sense that the, the sickness is, is death. And we actually, I mean, we talk about sin and we talk a lot about repentance, but from what I am picking up when we talk about salvation, it's a whole lot more focused on death as like the last enemy and like the, the crucifixion resurrection, much more about defeating death and freeing people from death and removing the hold that death has on us. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, Christ defeats death by, by resurrecting and by breaking, like breaking down like literal, well, like literal spiritual gates somewhere and leading captives out and leading them into like this whole other, like now we're in reality sort of reality. And, and so like our idea of atonement is much more, our idea of salvation is much more of like, um, well now come and participate in what Christ has already done. Right. And, like our idea of like Eucharist is we're, we're through, 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 through ritual, we're participating again in what Christ did and we're partaking of his divine nature in ourselves and through that joining with him in that. And so we were, we're baptized into him, uh, into his victory. We partake of him in, in his victory. And so in that way, we kind of like heal and grow into salvation in, in that way. Right. Uh, and it's, and it's, yeah, and there's very much the thought of, uh, I mean, we're like kind of particular about like what, what, what our creed is, but there's very much the sense of like, yeah, everybody come and like, you know, we'll like sort out all the details later <laughs> uh, and that sort of thing. So um, all that to say, yeah, I, I think, and maybe, maybe you're catching me in like a little bit different life stage and a little bit post deconstruction. I think mm-hmm. a, I don't know, maybe I'm just maybe like a little, a little different, different point in the journey where uh, I'm for myself, I'm feeling more settled in, in where I'm at, um, which doesn't mean that there's no questions. I mean, I mean, especially once we get into the realms of like, you know, gender sexuality, like I still have a lot of questions there uh, and um, social justice and racial justice. I mean, I still have a lot of questions about like, well, what do we, what, what do we do there? But, right. um, but I don't know. I'm, so glad I'm not the only one. You're not the only one. Definitely not. Yeah. I don't know. Did that answer any of your question? I, I, talked, I, I mean, questions. somewhat. I mean, it's, you know, it, as much as I have learned to start to distrust seems too long of a, or too, too big of a word, but um, to not, not exactly just completely trust out of the get go. Anybody who, who says they have an answer to a lot of these questions like that. Um, I also understand arguments of authority effectively. And, you know, the Orthodox church does say that they've been doing the same thing for roughly 2000 years. And so there's probably something to it, if nothing else. So yeah, it's, um, I don't know. It's a big journey. It's a weird journey. I am excited and terrified all at the same time. It's great. (laughs) It sounds like a, it sounds like a good spot to be at, uh, to be just like honest, honestly questioning, um, or, uh, funny you mentioned this. So as as of the date we're recording, uh, just a couple of weeks ago was uh, St. Thomas Sunday, where we commemorate, you know, St. Thomas the Apostle who uh, put his hands into the, the wounds of Christ after the resurrection. And uh, in like Western circles, he's often called Doubting Thomas and sometimes criticized for that. But mm-hmm. he's actually really, really celebrated in the Eastern Church for that. And um, uh, which... 
and I'm I'm new at this, so I'm gonna forget some of why, but it's something something to do with like, well, he asked questions and then was open to the answers, or his yeah. questions led to revelation and led to being able to provide that revelation of my Lord and my God for for all people. And so there's there's a there's a sense for us of uh, like blessed doubt or mm-hmm. better a real and honest doubt than like an insincere truth or something or an insincere yeah. confidence. So yes, um, being in a questioning spot is a great place to be. Um, yes. Um, <laughs> so speaking of the great divorce, uh, one other, one of the, the other uh, concepts that came up that I wanted to hit on a little bit Um is this idea of reality, I think. Uh, so kind of coming uh, back to the way that uh, Lewis describes the world here as so much more substantial that it hurts to encounter. And this comes out a lot in chapter four, I think, as the um, as the solids, the solid people <laughs> come mm-hmm. here. Uh, and they're, they're the bright ones. They're, their illumination is bothersome. It's distressing. It hurts to encounter the world is substantial. It's not a hostile or violent world. It's just so real that when you, when these other folks are non-real or unreal or not grounded in reality, it hurts. And that was making me think about, uh, we talk about this a lot in recovery conversations and recovery circles, because I do a lot of recovery work in my day job. And there's this really big push to be more present, to be more in your reality and how we define that and and how, how lately I would define sobriety is presence, you know, being in your body, being in your senses, being in the world, in reality as it is, um, which is not, it's not technically the same as abstinence, uh, a lot of time, a lot of times that you need to be abstinent from stuff to get there, but, um, but it's not just that. And there's ways that even like people who are abstinent from all of like, like the drugs and sex and all of that are like still not fully present in themselves through like other more like socially acceptable means. Like, you know, the person who's just like at work a hundred hours a week or always at the gym or always eating or something that there's kind of right. a way that uh, there, there's other ways of being unpresent, but um, but I, I, I love the way that they just like portray this as here's these, here's these ghosts who are now encountering reality as it is, or like the supra reality as they never knew it could be, but now it is. And, mm-hmm. uh, the degree to which they can, uh, move in there is, is related to like, how willing are they to become present? And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think I'm remembering my, my maybe spoiler if I'm remembering this correctly, but I think that later in the book, some of the ghosts start to take on some of that solid quality and it becomes easier for them to live in this world. I think I remember that correctly. Um, Lewis fans have had it's re- certainly alluded to in the fourth chapter, like towards the end of Memory Sirs. Okay, yes, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> Lewis fans and scholars, if I've misremembered that, please forgive me. Uh, <laughs> I'm a counselor, not an English teacher. <laughs> yeah um yes so those are some thoughts and high points from chapters three and four um yeah any other what uh any other things stand out to you from from these chapters actually i think we've i think we've hit it quite a lot uh 
for myself. Definitely like you, like when you open the podcast or about the beginning of this book is like, ah, who am I in this story? (laughs) (laughs) And I identify a lot more sometimes with the people from the bus and that, not that might not be as bad of a thing as it's kind of coming out to me. I mean, as we just talked about like real honest questions, like, you know, this is accepting where I'm at, not over identifying with one or the other, perhaps, but honestly accepting where I'm at and saying, okay, where do I go from here? Very much so. And yeah, that's probably not a bad place to be. I mean, there's an honesty and a humility to that. I mean, I, I would identify, I mean, there's, uh, I think one of the ghosts was like the one who, oh, it might've been like, like, like the, the big man who was like, you know, kind of spitting on this forgiveness idea being like, Oh, like I got to earn my way and I've got to have my rights. And I don't know there's a part of me that resonates with mm-hmm. that of like, it's sure. harder to just receive love and grace from people. And I, I, I get that, but, but probably, I mean, if we, if we are best people, it's probably better to at least better to not be the person who's like running and fleeing back to the bus. And there is that like, <laughs> cause, because there was that person who just, who's like, I can't take it and runs back to the bus and we never see her again. Um, but at least here, us questioners are at least tripping over diamond hard blades of grass and getting a little cut up, but still we're at least like out in it and everything. Um, so funzy, funzy, uh, closing. So, so, um, it recognizing here's, uh, this reunion that happens between, uh, the big man and Len and the, it's just like really odd little reunion. Uh, Jake, what are some of your best or favorite reunion moments in movies, music, literature? Oh, gosh. Um, well, actually, the day we're recording this on, I should catch it just because I did watch the series all the way through. Although it was, I think, out of my time enough that I didn't identify a lot with it. But the Friends reunion special episode airs today. Uh, I don't know on which platform. And by the time we release this, it will probably have gone by a little while. <laughs> um, but there's, so there's that kind of like big in pop culture, but I was, I was just thinking on it. And um, so my favorite sitcom uh, was probably how I met your mother. Uh, and it was interesting. Like there's this concept of reunion ish going throughout like the final two episodes, spoiler alerts. If you guys haven't seen the rest of the series, I highly recommend it. Don't listen to exactly what I'm going to say here uh, <laughs> necessarily, but there was, there was a huge outcry with like how, how the Caesar, the series ended. And it was kind of on this. Uh, nope. Um, you know, a lot of the characters kind of, fell away from each other there was you know a big divorce and and that sort of thing but there there was this constant concept of reunion as you know playing through the years of people's lives and um it stayed i argued like as much as it wasn't like a super feel-good ending to a series i think they did quite well in playing to the characters um, both strengths and flaws like they they showed truly flawed people um in kind of playing through that and so that was just like had an odd sort of many series of reunions, I guess, going through that. So that was, I think that was the most, uh, the biggest one impressed on me, I guess. That does sound really beautiful and uh, really well done. I have not seen the show, so thanks for not completely spoiling that. Uh, Maybe I'll get to it someday. Um, Yeah, I was, uh, 
<laughs> I hadn't I hadn't gotten the realm of sitcoms for me, although uh, Lost comes to mind, uh, like like the oh, last, right, yeah. um, which is another contentious ending among all of like sitcomy uh, series and everything. But um, which there's a lot of uh, you know C.S. Lewis crossover <laughs> with Lost as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, there, I mean that that's another one where it's like here's all of these people who. I think in the I think in the last season they're dead. They're 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 confirmed dead, and they're like in how, however like the J.J. Abrams, uh, Lindelof uh, afterlife works. They're coming back together, and in this full and in the like the fullness of who they are, or like now they really understand themselves and each other and can fully right. be together. So there's there there's there there was something that was kind of beautiful about that, even if it was like not what everybody was hoping for. Um, the other one. Um, and like another another just like like painful reunion uh, that came to mind was actually the end of Castaway, where hmm. uh, the 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 Tom Hanks Robinson Crusoe character has been stranded for for years, just got cut away, and then finally what makes his way back home and reunites with the woman he loved, and, and if I remember right, I think he was going to marry her, and by this time she's grieved married someone else had a kid and so there's this moment where they're like you're here and i'm here and we can't be together but i think they kiss anyway and there's this just like you know beautifully painfully uh we can't quite be together moment um but the the other one that i'm going to say might be one of my favorites so it's from uh the movie The, the four feathers um with heath ledger memory eternal um from oh goodness maybe like 20 years ago now but the the basic premise is there's um there's a there's a british soldier who commits uh commits an act of cowardice and um uh, abandons his regiment and his three best soldier friends and his fiance you know send him these white feathers that's a symbol of coward and the movie is like his arc of seeking redemption and like undoing the cowardice and like you know coming to the aid of his friends and um so you know um so, 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 somewhere in the end of there, he like say say saves one of them, but um, the I guess I'm kind of spoiling the movie, which is a little a little too bad because it's really well, I won't, I won't completely spoil it because you really should see it. It's this really beautiful masterpiece, whatever. Um, but there's the, the this one moment where like this friend who's now blind, like. They, they, he, like his blind friend, like is touching his face and finally remembering like who he is, and like there's just like this really touching moment where it's like, oh, it's you, it was you, and and everything. Uh, so, um, so without spoiling it too much more than that, uh, I'm gonna say that the four feathers had a really beautiful reunion moment in it as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, there's that. There is. Um. I think that's it for our show and our conversation. Um, so let's uh, do chapter five, six. I want to do two or three chapters next time, or I don't know. We... Uh, five, six, maybe seven. I don't know exactly how the how everything is split up narratively, and so who okay. knows? Okay. Um, why don't we do five? Five and six. I think there's an even number of chapters. I think there's an even number of chapters, so we should probably do that. So, okay. Uh, So we'll do chapters five and six next time. So if anyone's uh, following along with us, uh, (laughs) read those chapters. That's your homework. There you go. (laughs) um, 
don't write any papers because not that kind of homework. No, please no. (laughs) Right. Thank you for being with us and we will uh, see you again next time. Bye, y'all. Bye. Word and Journey is a podcast by Moses Bernabe. If you like what you hear, consider supporting the show with dollars, reviews, or shares, or all of the above. Word and Journey can be found on most major podcast platforms and on my author Patreon at patreon.com slash Moses Bernabe. Moses Bernabe can be found at MosesBernabe.com. Contact info for my most excellent co-hosts can be found in the liner notes. The podcast logo was designed by TJ Todd with additional development by Moses Bernabe. The theme music is by Aaron Esparza. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.